0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating the very finest video games. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I am joined by my childhood friend, Chris Dow. Just plug and play. And my adulthood friend, Minty Booth.
1: If you like that episode, or indeed any episode.
0: (laughs) And we're discussing our all-time top 100 video games. This week, we have our number 69s. (laughs) Yes! But before we do that... Guys, do you fancy, uh, do you fancy watching a, a classic David Lynch film? May I suggest that we unhinge our minds, whack on blue velvet, and enjoy the acting prowess of Quizzabella Rossellini? Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> so for eagle-eared listeners, you may have realised that the score was incorrect going into last week's round. Do
1: eagles have ears? Yes. Oh. They've
2: just got little holes, don't they? Birds have like sound holes.
0: And I didn't have my notes in front of me, so I got the scores wrong going into it. The score was 14-13 going into the last round. Minty got the point. It is now 14-all going into this round. Okay. Dragon's Lair, released in arcades in the 80s, could best be described as... A. An action-adventure game. B. A hack-and-slash game. C. A fantasy game. Or D. An interactive movie. D is correct, Chris. Wow. It is an interactive movie. Oh. You have pulled ahead once again. Well done. So we've had another question come in from the Twitter sphere, guys. Have we? We have indeed. At Joshua Orsop underscore has tweeted us saying, uh, "Don't get. Me- I don't know what his voice is, but I guess it sounds like this. Uh, don't get me wrong. I love violent games, most likely for the wrong reasons. But some video games are very violent." Do you think they influence their players to be violent in real life? If so, what should we do about it? No.
1: Oh. <laughs> well, I dunno. I mean it it is a problem that plagues all kinds of media, isn't it? I mean, I watched John Wick once and I immediately went out and murdered Alfie Allen.
0: Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. I think that people who are going to be violent are going to be violent with or without video games or with or without movies. People were violent and killing each other a lot more before video games and movies than they are now. Well, maybe. I don't know. There's more people. so Oh, yeah. But I, I think that, I mean, there is something to be said for the manner in which violent acts are committed. Because you do get, you do get like copycats murders and crimes and stuff like that certainly inspired by films and I think probably more you know with video games as well where if you're gonna go and shoot somebody you may as well go and shoot a hooker in the back of a car (laughs) because you've seen it in Grand Theft Auto and it was cool that is true yes but
1: like I said it's not something that's just limited to video games I remember ever since the last time I read The Help I've been shitting in my friend's dinners ever since
2: (laughs) (laughs) I mean a, a huge part of this is I don't think there's, there's a massive impact. So There's been studies and things which have basically said people who kind of play or engage in, in violent video games or violent movies, there's very tenuous links to any, any kind of actual violence in their behavior generally. And we, we have rating systems, you know, in, in countries across the world. So America has the ESRB. We used to have the BBFC before it was replaced for games by Peggy.
0: And then the RSPB. <laughs> I
2: mean, they're, they're bang on any sort of uh, ornithological acts of violence and <laughs> but but I think a big part is is it has to come down to the, the people who are buying these games if they are adults themselves then you know fill your boots play whatever you want but a lot of the time it's it's kind of parents who may not be aware of, of what games are even you know what games contain now who pick them up assuming that, that gaming is still Mario on on the nes and has never really looked past that yeah and a big part but I think is we just have to do on like a societal level, more for kind of digital literacy yeah because it's not just about kind of like consumption of media it's in 10 years time people aren't gonna be able to use the bank if they if they don't understand how smartphones or or the internet works it's true or you know not being able to pay for goods in shops as more and more kind of tills are phased out for self-service machines it's it's all these little bits that you can see the generation now who's kind of like i don't know late 60s or, or 70s that kind of era and that kind of age if they haven't actively tried to keep up it's probably getting quite confusing just the, the way the world is more and more kind of digitally led. Yeah. And I, th- I think a part of that is obviously comes back to the, you know, games are, are more real than they ever have been in terms of like a visual fidelity. And people don't always realise that just as they don't realise that they, they can't transfer money unless they have a little HSBC app.
0: I remember once when I was working at Game and a mum came up to the till with a copy of Dante's Inferno just after it came out. The, the video game, not the Divine Comedy. <laughs> and she had a little boy with her who looked fairly sort of sweet and innocent uh, who I later realised was a total gobshite.
1: Of course, as they are often wont to be.
0: And I said, oh, if you don't mind me asking is this game for your son? And she said, yes it is. And I said, okay I must say, in my professional opinion I do not think this game is appropriate for your son to be playing. And the son said, mum I am getting this game! (laughs) And I looked him in the eye and I said No, 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 no. (laughs) I said, I believe I said, not on my watch, Sonny. And I explained to the woman the content of the game. And I said, look, I'm not going to sell you this game because I know it's for your son and I do not think it's appropriate. And I said, there's nothing stopping you, obviously going over to HMV and trying it there. But what I would encourage you to do is go home and have a look at some videos of what this game has in it and then decide whether or not you think it's appropriate for your for your son and if you do you're a dreadful person (laughs) wow
1: I mean it's not just limited to video games though is it because I remember I went to see um, I went to see an exhibition and uh, they had Goya's fight with clubs and as soon as I saw that I went out and kicked the shit out of a Spaniard
0: (laughs) yeah and you you can't be blamed for that you can't be blamed for that so what is the conclusion parents don't buy games that aren't appropriate for your children children don't be gobshites (laughs) yeah
2: Mm. i mean that's a life lesson for everyone to learn isn't it
0: what have we been playing this week i tell you what i've been playing this week go on go for it i've been playing bloodstained ritual of the night on the playstation 4
1: Ah, I was going to ask, because I hear that the Switch release has some issues.
0: Yeah, I read this, and which is why I decided to get it. Which is a shame, because I love to play a Metroidvania on a handheld. Love it. You do, love don't it. you? Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Famous for it.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Can't get enough of it. But I heard that it was really buggy, had some massive performance issues. And so I thought, well, I really want to play this game. I'll get it on PS4 and, you know, it'll be fine. Having said that, I must say it has been really quite buggy. It has crashed oh. several times. Once it just entirely froze my PS4, and I had to turn it off. And I, I've no idea why that is, <laughs> and I'm not sure what they're doing about it. Because I had a little Google and saw that you know other people had had similar things, but then some people say no, absolutely no problem at all, hasn't crashed once. Oh. And so I've no idea. I've no idea what it is. But it's a great game. It's a great Metroidvania game. It's developed by the guy that did like loads of the classic Castlevania games and it is a castlevania game and it's great it's really good fun the only problem is cuz I'm, I'm keep waiting for it to crash again <laughs> i'm just slightly on edge playing yeah. the game all the time so I can't quite relax into it how i would usually but it is good
2: i, I think mm. there's there's an issue with obviously that came from like a big kickstarter and it's essentially like an independent project like a, a lower tier kind of project than than what castlevania would have been originally and and people have very high expectations and and want certain things from these games but there's just more that goes into development these days. And I think for this game, like the reason the Switch port is, is a bit iffy or, or so I hear is that it was really late in development that they canned the Wii U version and then had to move development over to a brand new platform. And, and even the console versions like the PS4 and the, and the Xbox One versions, who knows when they actually kind of went into full development. And, and I think it's just part and parcel of kind of modern game development, unfortunately, that often when you have these kind of projects that have very long kind of gestation periods... Sometimes you have these issues that take a bit of time to iron out and resolve. So hopefully, in time, it will be a, a lovely game for everyone to play. I hope so. Oh, me too. What have you been playing, Chris? Loads. <laughs> I've, I've played loads because uh, this will be like a running theme for a few weeks now because of my summer holiday. And I'm basically picking up stuff that I haven't played or wanted to play or, or whatever in the past. So a few notable ones this week. I played through a game called The First Tree on the PS4. That's kind of like an exploratory collect them up type thing that has mild puzzle elements, largely kind of narrative-led. You control a fox kind of and guide it through lush landscapes as a conversation takes place over the soundtrack between like a couple and one is talking about having recently lost their father and you sort of hear them kind of reminiscing about these these people in their lives. And it would be really good, I think, if it wasn't that the writing felt really forced and the delivery was pretty poor. The writing should be the thing that grips you in a game like this and, and keeps you playing. But for me, it was a real struggle to want to finish it because uh, I just wasn't wasn't enjoying kind of how it was packaged and delivered. I've also played a little bit of uh, Crash Bandicoot on the game Boy advanced. Wow. And uh, that's a bit of a throwback, but, you know, just to kind of mix things up a bit. And I think it's, it's remarkable how close it gets to the full Crash Bandicoot experience in that it has really aggravating difficulty spikes, <laughs> incredibly oh, no. inconsistent visual design. <laughs> o- often entirely unreliable controls <laughs> you know all the things you love about the ps1 originals <laughs> and uh, i'm at the stage now where i have beaten the game i've, I've got to the credits but I'm, I'm sort of mopping up the post-game stuff but i really feel like i'm playing it now out of out of hate rather than love <laughs> so we'll, we'll, we'll see how far we get through that before i, I put that in the bin and then finally I, I couldn't go this week without mentioning the best game i've played probably in five years play dead's fantastic inside
0: oh yeah that is
2: yeah it's it's incredible I mean, I, I don't know how I've gone this long without either playing it for a start, because I've had it on my shelf for a long time. It's a kind of pseudo-sequel to Limbo, which I really love. And also, I can't believe I've gone this long without seeing any spoilers about the game set piece or story. Yeah. But, I mean, what, what an astonishing follow up it is to to Limbo yeah. uh, saying that like yeah this might come up in in one of your lists if you've played it but I do.
0: Who knows?
2: <laughs> it's basically like a cinematic platformer in the same way like we had originally like things like Prince of Persia, onwards to things like Another World and obviously Limbo years later would kind of refine the, the formula quite a bit. But the inside is without a doubt one of the most visually arresting games I think I've ever played. The the animation and environmental design is so assured and the audio as well is is consistently like really atmospheric. It uses silence really well. It uses kind of like drones and all like industrial Foley effects really really perfectly. It's just an absolutely astonishing production. And if I was doing my list, obviously now we've said this a, a few games in the past, I think this would rank mm. really really highly for me. Yeah, like not wanting to spoil it for those who hopefully will go off and play it at some point. But the pacing is perfect. The the length of it felt absolutely perfect. Puzzle difficulty, just the whole package is breathtaking. Yeah. And it's easily the best thing I played this year. So that was a a wonderful thing to to come to this week.
0: Yeah, I'm really glad that you finally had a chance to play it. I went into it similarly to you being a huge fan of Limbo and thinking though you know because it's it's not a billion miles away from it in terms of its setup and its visual style and all of that sort of thing, I thought, well, there's no way that they're gonna better limbo. But You'll have to listen on and find out my thoughts another day. <laughs> Minty, what have you been playing this week?
1: On the on the back of what I said in our summer episode, I picked up Woodle Tree Adventures because it was one pound. I played the first level, and I will not be playing the rest. <laughs> I'm sorry to say that it was not very good.
0: But you're a man of your word. Yes, you're right. And that is very good. Mm.
1: Also, I've been playing Fire Emblem Three Houses as ah, well.
0: Ah, yes.
1: I'm having a smashing time with it. Although, before I came here today, I'd got to a point in the story where, you know, when you're about to get like a, a juicy little bit of exposition, mm. and then the character t- about to tell you does something really inconsiderate, like gets Gosh. murdered. So that happened. And as another character was about to tell me some exposition based on what just happened with that other character who'd just been murdered, they got interrupted by a big, bumbling fool saying, there's an emergency! So so I'm none the wiser, and a character that I had grown very close to is dead. So, really, what have I gained? (laughs) I'll tell you, very little, <laughs> apart from 10 hours of thrilling and engaging gameplay up to this point.
0: Yeah, but what's that compared to the life of a friend?
1: That's true. See, you, you and me, man, we fuck, <laughs> we get <laughs> each other, man.
0: <laughs> so, moving on to the rankings. Starting this week, we have Minty. Minty, can you please tell us what your 69th favourite video game is?
1: My 69th video game is a first on my list, and Jonathan's list at least. A Super Nintendo game. It's a racing game, and the first one in the genre that I really, really, really liked. My copy of Super Mario Kart was a little delicate, so I never really played it, lest a slightly harsh gaze in its general direction, or a over-exuberant exhale caused it to wipe my save data, so I will play this game to death instead it's street racer
2: oh
0: wow Ah.
1: much like super mario Kart, there were eight characters but they weren't iconic characters from a storied and well-established franchise so they were slightly more generic than what you would find in smk you had uh, there was a frankenstein a sumo wrestler a zulu warrior a skinhead Biggles' grandfather, a genie that looks like a white pupper smurf, Hugh Grant if he was in Greece, and a woman. And everybody had their own unique stats, so I would use Frank in races because of his acceleration, and then Biggles Senior in battles because he had high attack. It had a standard like Grand Prix mode with a few three difficulty settings and a few custom race modes. But there was also a battle mode, which saw you basically wrestling all seven characters in your car. And then there was a soccer mode that was like five aside. But get this. In cars.
2: Like Rocket League. It's a proto rocket league. Yes,
1: you could say it was Proto Rocket League. Yeah. It was basically Super Mario Kart, but better. I mean, despite being more generic, the characters' individual stats and weapons meant that you, every time you played with somebody different, there was a real newness to each race. Because maybe there was a there was a shortcut that required you to take a tight corner, which you just couldn't do with somebody with low handling, for example. So mm. uh, you'd have to take the long way around. And maybe there was a particular jump you would be able to avail yourself of having a higher defender stat because as you landed you might get attacked by somebody who had landed at the same time as you so there was quite a little bit of depth to the uh, to the racing which was not particularly present in super mario kart because it was just oh i'm heavier than you <laughs> and i can become invincible whenever i want i'm mario
0: ah uh, yeah
1: you remember no yeah Oh, no. Well, me neither. Psh, what?
0: Psh.
1: <laughs> but the thing that I really enjoyed was the fact that the battle and soccer modes could be played against CPUs. Ah. Which set it way above Super Mario Kart because A, I only had one controller, and B, I didn't have any friends.
0: Oh. Uh,
1: well, none, none, none that would play with me anyway.
0: So I've just done a quick Google and it revealed a four way split screen.
1: Oh.
2: You had to have the multi tap.
1: Or it might be from the PS1 version.
2: Possibly. Or the Mega Drive one that I had. Or the Saturn one that no one had. <laughs> I know there are several
1: platforms that this was released on.
2: <laughs> oh, the Saturn. <laughs> love the Saturn. I know, and it's so depressing every time we talk about it because uh, the amount of love we have for it is is probably 50, 50% of the entire population's love for it. Certainly between the two of us and my brother, yeah. definitely. Yeah. That boosts it to 75. <laughs> there's, a, there's one other fan out there somewhere. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so yeah, Street Racer, good game. But crucially, still good today.
2: Ah, It's nowhere near as good on the Mega Drive. I can tell you that because I, I did own it on the Mega Drive. Oh, And while the SNES version was kind of mode seven, I think, like Mario Kart, isn't it? Where you've got like a full, it was, like, yes, you know, yes. faux 3D track. The Mega Drive one was essentially just you're in the middle of the screen and, and the pretend track moved around you. So the way that a lot of uh, Sega games did, because they didn't have the, the Mode Seven chip, or I think it's a chip, isn't it? In the in the SNES that did that, probably there is something in the SNES anyway that means that it can do that kind of scaling effect. So it was in F Zero, like a launch game. It was in Mario Kart. It was in Pilot Wings. Like a lot of them used it that the Mega Drive didn't have.
0: Well, there we go. Thank you for that, Minzy. Street Racer, a game that they describe as a cross between Mario Kart and Street Fighter, Ugh. apparently. So moving on. Chris, can you please tell us about your 69th favourite video game?
2: I can, and the opening to this is actually quite relevant because we've just talked about the SNES, and this is on the Mega Drive. Obviously. Of course. It's been a few weeks, hasn't it? <laughs> um, so we, we said, like, or well, I said, because I'm the Mega Drive man, uh, like months ago, that the Mega Drive and the SNES differed in attitude, uh, like the, the kind of approach developers took, the the way they were kind of uh, presented to market, essentially. But a factor I didn't really talk about was that there are, as we've just said about the Mode 7 stuff, there are fundamental kind of differences in the hardware of each machine. So although both had a 16-bit processor, the SNES had little bells and whistles, so it had better audio capabilities. It had like the, the scaling effects and things like that that the Mega Drive couldn't do. But the Mega Drive had a slightly faster clock speed, which is really dull, but it means that it runs a few megahertz faster than the SNES and it's why most kind of speedy action games like shoot 'em ups and stuff would, would end up on, on the Mega Drive or have better ports that way. So, again, like we mentioned months back, Mario and Sonic are good examples that you had Super Mario World as a more kind of pensive, uh, like slower platform that was about exploration, and then Sonic, which was purely about speed, just because the, the processors were kind of built in a way that, that favoured that type of gameplay each way. And this game on my list, like Dynamite Heady, which I talked about again months ago on the Mega Drive, because I'm the Mega Drive man. My 69th favourite game of all time is an action platformer. It's filled with quirky bosses and big set pieces, uses kind of show-stopping technical effects that made it stand out against its contemporaries, and also stood out against kind of a lot of other exclusive titles on its own console. Like, this is one that I think is is really a showcase for the Mega Drive and what it was able to do. My 69th favourite video game of all time is Konami's Rocket Knight Adventures. And it is a game that I have no recollection of buying or receiving, but I do have extremely fond memories of playing again and again and again. In this game, you play as a character called Sparkster, who is an opossum. Oh, He is armor-clad carries a jetpack on his back which is where the title comes from that he is a rocket knight and although there are levels where he uses it to fly that play out essentially like side scrolling shooters Mm. most stages it is an action platformer like i said like a basic action platformer and in these you have a little sword that you can use to either attack at close range or fire kind of mid-range projectiles whereas the jetpack instead of allowing you to fly in the regular stages you can build up charge to kind of boost in one of eight directions like up down left right and the diagonals which can be used to get to different platforms, or attack enemies, or bounce off walls and stuff like that. So it's quite a, a unique way of getting around the screen. You've, you know, you can use the entire screen space, as it were, as opposed to being limited to just the plane you're walking on. The sprite work and animation is really good. The music's really good, and the stage design is really great. But it's it's the big bosses in the same way, like dynamite, heading a lot of the treasure stuff stood out because of the way they used these bosses to punctuate levels at midpoints or endpoints. And Rocket Knight essentially follows on from that kind of style as well. So all the bosses pretty much are creative and, and push the hardware in, in, in different ways, basically like to its early 90s limits for the platform. So you've got stages where you're chasing like a train, riding on a little mine cart, and the train has long skeleton arms, which are kind of trying to swipe at you. You've got a stage where you fight a boss across kind of like a foreground and background plane to and from, like in in front and behind a waterfall, which has some really nice like faux transparency effects. In one, you're penned in a single room, like a really claustrophobic stage where a big snake creature sort of bursts through the floor or the walls or the ceiling. Oh, no, thank you. And all of them are really, really fun. And a lot of the design team came from working on the Contra series. And I think this game has like elements of that sort of run and gun series. But it's something else because I think it's far more suited to home play, like, everything's a bit bigger and brasher even tough stages are a little bit more forgiving so it's not meant to just like eat away your money so you run out of credits Um, so it's, it's a game that you kind of get better at by you can still do it you know being reactive rather than just through memorization like I've talked about the difference in arcade games before I think like the best action platformers levels very rarely kind of outstay their welcome And it often is a game that's kind of surprising by kind of chucking new stuff at you, making you think about having to approach these levels in a different way. And the one that has really stuck with me like over all these years that I can hear the music in my head and I can kind of see it really vividly is one where you start out and you notice kind of the the lava at the bottom of the stage is bobbing up and down, which starts to kind of cover some of the platforms you need to use and, and then sort of recedes down again. And the lava for some reason has a weird sort of reflective sheen to it which in itself was pretty mind-blowing as an effect, like a full reflection of your character upside down. But as you go through the stage, at first you're just kind of waiting patiently for it to move out of the way so you can jump on. And then you get to a position where you can't actually see where your character is. You're obscured by foreground details. And you have to use the reflection in the lava to kind of show where the platforms are for you to jump. And, th- and that kind of way of you know, really flipping your expectation for how to kind of play a 2D platform game. Is, is one of those like really clever tricks that the game uses to sort of refresh itself again and again. It just stands out really nicely. It's, it's one of the best kind of action platform games on the Mega Drive, I think. Probably the best in terms of that whole generation like the SNES as well. It got a sequel that was a SNES exclusive called Sparkster like a year later oh. and it was really rubbish. Oh. Like I've played it like really wanting to, to have more of that same thing. It also got another, another sequel on like the 360 and the PS3, like a digital version that was just called Rocket Knight Adventures. Also rubbish. It was weird that it came back anyway, like a good 20 years after the original 2. But, you know, it is what it is. And the original is where it's at, which is on my beloved Mega Drive. And on my list in number 69. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for that,
0: Chris. What an adventure it was. (laughs) A rocket night adventure. (laughs)
2: That's
0: what I did there.
1: I did, yeah.
0: So if you combine classic Sega Mega Drive 2D platforming and rudimentary 3D gaming, what do you get? The answer is my 69th favourite video game. Now, Chris may be a little disappointed, but I will go into why this is, for this is the third and final Sonic game on my list. It is Sonic 3D Blast. Now, I am fully aware that it is not a better game than Sonic 3 or Sonic & Knuckles. However, I... Absolutely love it. (laughs) You need to have that, that admission, like
2: just like scroll down your leg so you remember it every time you pick up a Sonic game.
0: This game has a very special place in my heart and it comes back to what I was saying about Sonic 3 and Sonic & Knuckles in the fact that I never got to experience a Sonic game coming out. I never got to be excited about the inclusion of Tails in Sonic 2. I never got to be excited about all kinds of bars being raised in Sonic 3 and Sonic & Knuckles. But I did, however, get to experience a new Sonic game in Sonic 3D Blast and I was lucky enough to be one of the few people with a Sega Saturn (laughs) and play the Sega Saturn version of it as opposed to the (laughs) Sega Mega Drive version of it. And the Sega Saturn version enjoyed a lot of improvements over the Sega Mega Drive version such as significantly improved textures. Fantastic 3D effects on the special stages. Well, full 3D special stages. There were. Loads of other lovely additional little details. But most importantly, the music was different and significantly better (laughs) on the Sega Saturn version. So for a long time, my only experience with the game was having it on a demo disc that I got with Sega Saturn magazine. And it had the first zone, which was, I assume, Green Hill Zone or some variation of that and there was something i absolutely loved about the way that the level was presented so it was being played on an isometric 3d plane as opposed to standard sort of 2d plane that sonic games were traditionally being played on but it still had that thing that i mentioned when i was talking about sonic and knuckles which is the sense of exploration and secret areas and these worlds were full of them it meant that even though i had a demo and it only had you know a couple of levels and a boss to play against it meant that i could spend a lot of time really pouring over all the different corners of it finding all the different secrets and really making the most of it and that kept me really entertained for quite some time until i thought you know what i should definitely play at least six more zones of this (laughs) and (laughs) and splashed out and bought the full game (laughs) and one of the absolute biggest joys that The full game brought over the demo was being able to experience Rusty Ruins, a zone which has one of my favourite pieces of video game music in. Gorgeous. In terms of atmospheric music, it's up there with aquatic ambience from Donkey Kong Country and with the additional mist fog effects that the Saturn version had, it made for a fantastic experience. It was really moody, it was really dramatic and yeah, really, really good fun. Aside from Rusty Ruins, there were the obligatory ice levels, fire levels, and like scrap brain zone, mechanical levels, factory levels, something like that. There was also a sort of a riff on Casino Night Zone from Sonic 2... And the carnival level from Sonic 3. And it was a sort of like a fun house kind of nightmare type thing. And, and that was also a lot of fun. Like I said, the original four Sonic games already existed for me. And they, there wasn't anything special about them because they were just constants and they'd always been there. Even though I, I'm sure that Sonic 3D is not as good as Sonic 3 and Sonic and Knuckles. <laughs> because it was something new for me to experience and, and different as well it gave me a lot of joy and I, I played it just an absolute ton, an absolute ton. And there's something, yeah, very, very special about it. One of the really sad things is that in all the ports that have happened and arcade collections that have come out, whenever it's included on those, it's always the Sega Mega Drive version rather than the the Saturn version. So I've never really got to play the more polished version with better music and better graphics. I haven't really got to play it in, in, in a very, very long time. I really got my hopes up when M2 were doing the 3D versions of the Sonic games on the 3DS because, as long as I've been experiencing 3D gaming, this is a game that I thought would benefit so much from actually being in real stereoscopic 3D because this was the biggest downside of the game was the fact that. You didn't have any depth perception, and you couldn't really tell if you were going to jump into some rings or jump into some enemies if you were jumping on the Z-axis, as opposed to the X and y axes, and it was something that Nintendo really capitalised on with Super Mario 3D Land where it had to be played in 3D for certainly for some of the stages to work at all but it also played on that idea of looking under 2D plane but needing to see it in 3D and that sort of sense of perspective and I really really hope that M2 were going to at some point pull out a an actual 3D version of sonic 3d blast whether that was the Mega Drive version or the saturn version i don't know but it would have been amazing and i you know what i'm still going to hold out hope that that's going to happen one day that somebody's going to make a 3d version of the sega saturn version of sonic 3d blast (laughs) because i would have a blast playing that 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 is
2: quite a niche ask isn't it
0: (laughs) when i spoke about sonic 3 and sonic and knuckles and really really thought about it we all knew that I might have made a mistake in putting them a bit too low down on my list. Good. And even though I absolutely love Sonic 3D Blast, I think that realisation about Sonic 3 and Knuckles' true listing has never been more
2: prevalent. <laughs> in, in saying that, Sonic 3D is not a bad game. No, I, abs- I absolutely love I, it. I had it on the Mega Drive. I didn't have the Saturn version, so I, I've got very limited experience with kind of the, the spruced-up edition that you had. But the Mega Drive version i recently got kind of like essentially a director's cut the original developer went back and, and re-looked at some of the issues that people had with it at the time uh, and off the back of that i played all of it to completion like with 100 percent essentially last year and it does hold up like for the for the tweaks that were made in terms of just movement and acceleration were changed slightly the way the camera tracked sonic was changed slightly a lot of small things like that yeah it makes a huge difference and i, I don't think the original was a bad game by any means but it actually was a, a really surprisingly good game to play it through even last year for having those little tweaks. Yeah. And I know the Saturn sort of saw some of those tweaks anyway, essentially because it was the same developers just did the new port. Yeah. It's a good game. It's not as good as Sonic 3 & Knuckles as you've rightly said, but it is here. It is number 69 and we will deal with that and we will, we will support you through this realisation.
0: <laughs> I really do appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> so there we have it. Another three games, another week. Another day, another destiny. This never-ending road to Calvary. First of all, we had...
1: Carriageway Competitor.
0: Then we had... Rocket Knight
2: Adventures.
0: And finally, Sonic 3. D-Blast. If you've enjoyed this episode, or if indeed you've enjoyed any of our episodes, please do leave us a review, subscribe, like it, share it on social media, tell your friends... If you want to reach out to us, you can do that. You can find us on Facebook if you search for our Three Cents, or you can reach out to us individually. You can find me on Twitter, at Jonathan Dunn. I am at Chaz underscore Hodges.
1: At Minty Booth is me.
0: And please do join us next week, where we move on to our 68th favourite video games. What a sizzler. Oh, Christopher!